during an audit by the Internal Revenue Service, the defendant was asked to explain a $5,000 write-off that was flagged bad investment. And when asked about it, the audit recipient explained, that was when I paid my taxes last year. We're well beyond April 15, but no matter what time of year it is, the word audit raises red flags for anyone who pays taxes, as well as those who don't. There are other kinds of audits, though. This church invited auditors to dig into our financial activities and procedures to make sure that all was well and to make recommendations for better accountability and better process. In Jesus' parable... Here at the beginning of Luke 16, we have a CEO, a rich man, inviting his manager to perform an audit, a self-audit, because he has heard that this manager has been squandering the rich man's property. Wasting was the word that Carol's translation used. Um, it's, It's interesting because this parable follows very soon after the parable of the prodigal son in which the prodigal son goes away and squanders his inheritance. And so now we have someone else squandering um, someone's property here. It's as if the CEO has a pink slip filled out and in that top middle desk drawer. But first, he's asking the manager for a self audit. Now today, this man would have been asked for his computer and shown the door immediately. But this is not a lesson in wise business practices. It's more about what we do with the opportunities that rise before us. So here's this manager faced with a situation And he's wondering what to do. And so we have this dialogue, or this inner monologue, really, where he's examining his potential moves and consequences as if it's a chessboard. And we hear his train of thought. What will I do? We hear his anxiety. What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? And he flips through the obvious options, digging ditches, Well, today, that might be like landing a cashier job at a fast food restaurant. Begging? Well, we see panhandlers around town, downtown, inside of the Hotel Roanoke, or holding signs at intersections. He's too ashamed, though. He's not strong enough to work at Burger King, maybe. He's too ashamed to beg for a quarter at a time. And so he keeps thinking until his brain arrives at a greater plan. Ah, I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So since his debts have been discovered, he creates a plan of action that will make others indebted to him. Before that pink slip is in hand, he arbitrarily reduces the debt of one vendor to 50% of his total bill, and of another vendor to 80% of his total. What's your visceral reaction to what this manager does? You like it? 
pretty ingenious. We have to admit that. Everybody wins something. The rich man gets part of his bills paid. The olive oil and wheat vendors get a discount. And the crafty manager, though jobless, has two new friends who are now indebted to him. Sometimes our responses to crises are not very creative. We may get angry and yell. We may feel numb and paralyzed. Or we may simply deny that there is a crisis and tell ourselves everything's fine, really. The manager in Jesus' parable pauses, reflects, and then responds, dishonestly, but shrewdly. And now, there's always a twist in Jesus' parables. So here comes the twist in the story. Here's how Alan Culpepper describes it. He says, the master praises the steward or the manager for his foresighted, shrewd action. That action casts an aura of honesty and goodness on his master. But it also shrewdly provides for his own future. Jesus, as he's talking to the disciples here, admonishes his hearers to cast caution aside, seize the moment of opportunity, and make provision for their future before God. The kingdom is at hand, he reminds us. The kingdom is at hand. Now, earlier we prayed, thy kingdom come. And we want God's kingdom to be on earth as it is in heaven. And yet, we have this paradox that the kingdom is already here. It's here and now. Jesus has already come. The kingdom is at hand. So what do we do with opportunity? Calvary has a moment of opportunity like no other in its history. Not too much was required to seize the opportunities in the 1940s and 50s when the neighborhood was teeming with Baptists and this church house was bursting at the seams. But then I think this church missed an opportunity. The neighborhood began changing And the church began insulating itself against those changes. Our master, think about the master in the parable, and you think about God, our master. Our master has heard the stories that we have been squandering our master's assets. And our master has given us the opportunity to do an audit, a self-audit. Last Saturday, we had Dale Seeley in. That was a part of our self-audit. At that time together, there were 29 of us. We named aloud some of the weaknesses of the church, and we named some of the strengths of the church. And ironically, there were some things on both lists. And isn't that true for us as individuals as well? Sometimes our strengths cause us to have weaknesses in other areas. Based on what I heard that day, what I have heard in prayer, and what I have heard other times too, we have two directions to go if we are going to seize the master's opportunity. 
Our two directions are not east or west, north or south. They're not right or left. That would be a big mistake. The two directions are deeper and farther. First, we need to go deeper, and then we can go farther. And I'll explain. When I spent some time in Ivory Coast, I was there for two years working at the Baptist Media Center there. Every Monday morning, we would gather, the dozen or so of us would gather in the narrow reception area, and we'd have one of the workers would offer a short devotional time with a passage of Scripture, and then we would mention prayer requests, and someone in the group would take each prayer request And then we would pray, each person would pray for that particular request that morning. And I assume that all of the prayers were sincere, but one of my coworkers just drew me in to God's presence in a way that I rarely had experienced before. I experienced that very same thing this past Wednesday night at our prayer gathering. One person's prayer just, it was sort of like I imagine the temple in Jerusalem, the old temple, and it had the central area called the Holy of Holies, and that was where they believed God resided. And all of a sudden, I was there at the curtain of the Holy of Holies because of the the depth of prayer. We can tell when someone has a deep relationship with God. We can sense that. They've spent time getting to know God. They've spent time reading about Jesus, learning about his compassion, trying to pattern their life after him. And they have spent time listening, paying attention to the Holy Spirit and learning what the Holy Spirit wants them to do. We experience God's presence in a powerful way, and that changes us. Watching football games on a screen, we see shot after shot of the head coach on the sidelines, pacing, adjusting his headset, yelling at the referees, trying to not look smug when his players make a good play in advance. Well, on Saturdays these days, Brian and I are watching our six- and eight-year-olds play flag football, and it is a completely different experience. The coaches are not on the sidelines yelling at the kids, telling them what to do. The coaches are actually on the field in between between plays with the players. And they're scooting them around and telling them where to stand. And they're showing them plays on a a board and saying, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to hook around here, you're going to fake the ball, whatever it's going to be. They're right there with the kids, teaching them and showing them what to do. These novice players don't know the rules. They're learning. And so this is how I picture God. God is not on the sidelines yelling at us and saying, this is what you need to do. God is right there on the field with us, guiding us, helping us to advance. In the parable... The master praises the manager, maybe with a little shake of the head. 
but has to give him credit for being creative and finding a way for everybody to win something. God created us not for distance, but for closeness. Not to keep at arm's length, but to interlock arms and move together whichever direction we go. God wants to be connected with us and constantly is beckoning us to use our time and resources to connect with God. Going deeper. I'd like Calvary to be the place where anyone can find the people, the books, the practices, whatever resources will help you and others connect with God. And I'll be working with the church leadership in this area as we grow towards this vision. And I invite you to talk with them or with me whenever you feel a need, a hope, a vision. Don't hold it inside, but share it. Imagine Calvary becoming like a garden center. Have you ever been to one? You walk down the aisle, and on every long table are plants in various stages of growth. Some are seedlings that are an inch tall, and then other plants are three feet tall. Employees water them and feed them and prune them to help them grow, and then they're purchased to be taken to someone's home to beautify it or to feed the residents. As our roots grow deeper, we will want to expand our reach farther. Consider how a tree sends roots in multiple directions to gather nourishment to grow and then spread its branches. In the same way, our deeper connection with God will help us see and touch the people God needs us to care for. This congregation is really good at caring for each other. But few people outside know this. One thing we heard last week was that one woman argued with one of our folks at Calvary that Calvary was closed. No, Calvary Baptist Church is closed. No, it's not, he said. Yes, it is, she said. No, it's not, he said. The rumor with that one person was squelched, but how many others think that? Another of our congregation was told that we only had about 15 members. I haven't counted today, but we're over 100, I can tell you that. Friends, we are withholding the good news from people who need desperately to hear God's good news. Fear must no longer be our mentor. Did you hear Esther's introit? What else do I need from fears to be freed? His grace is enough for me. Now, we all have fears. That's one of our growing edges. We were born with fears. We learned fears from our parents and from our friends and from other people. And sometimes we live as if that's what's driving our lives. But fear need not be our mentor. We haven't... Who is our mentor? Jesus. Jesus Christ is our mentor. And Jesus lived life without fear. He went and did the hard things. And, and how powerful is that for us? So it, I've wondered if it's a question of trust. Do we really trust Jesus? 
Do we really trust God to be able to create through us the church that God wants us to be? Do we truly believe that Jesus' message of God's mercy and love is a life-changing message that other people want to hear? If so, we can no longer hide that good news in our own minds and hearts. To seize this moment of opportunity that God has offered to us, every person is invited to be on board. Really, every person needs to be on board. If you need a Bible, we will buy you one. If you need a small group, we will create one. I will be asking the church leaders to do whatever is in their power to make this a place where everyone is welcomed to grow. Persons of every ethnicity, every socioeconomic level, every religious belief, and no religious belief. Because we are Baptists, we recognize that the Holy Spirit is at work all the time. All the time. We are not know-it-alls. We are learners, and we can look forward to learning from each other. Squander no more. I changed the title of the sermon last night. Digging for gold, it wasn't, that's where I was going to go a month ago. But this is, this is where I needed to go today. Squander no more. That's, it, when we resist the opportunities to deepen our relationship with God and to share God's love with others, we are squandering God's resources just like the manager in the parable. And so take hold. Take hold, church. Take responsibility. This is your church. And you are growing in fertile ground. We are resting on the shoulders of many saints. And I know that you all can name many people who have touched you and strengthened you in your life of faith. And now it's time to do that for others. It's been noted that we are practiced and good at collecting money and gifts and non-perishable food, but most of us lack experience with hands-on ministry together. When the majority of us are engaged extending our reach to be the hands and feet of Christ, that's when people will begin hearing that Calvary is not closed, but is open, wide open. So let's serve a meal together, build a house together, bake bread for our neighbors. Let's plant a garden in the side yard or in the medians in the parking lot to let folks know that this is a place where things are growing, where people are growing. Let's open the gym in the afternoon for neighborhood kids. Let's take kitchen supplies and furniture to a woman who is moving from dependency back out on her own. The possibilities for us to be the hands and feet of Christ are limited only by our imaginations and our fears. The church is not a place to fear, but a place to release our fears to become the people that God has created us to be. Do you want to be a part of a church that is making a difference for people? We have a grand heritage. People have left us a great legacy. This year, a new legacy begins. We are on mission to learn to love God, to learn how deeply we are loved by God, and to tell others about these amazing gifts.